0: Early August 2021, a story hit the wires on the internet and in newspapers about a gentleman who had acted out a little too uh, extremely boisterously on a Frontier Airlines flight midair. He had been touching staff inappropriately and being generally belligerent and, and awfully drunk. And as a result, He was restrained by the staff on the airplane and duct taped into his airline seat. August of 2021, I was also on sabbatical, and I was going through my own little crisis of faith at that point, so the cynicism was high in me, and I have to admit, in the cynical, darker reaches of my brain, I found that outcome to be objectively hilarious. than then I thought about it for two minutes more. It turns out duct taping people to their seats wasn't a brand new innovation on that flight. It was a standard procedure sometimes for unruly passengers. In 2021 and 2022, there was an exponential spike in the number of incidents reported of passengers interfering with flight crew of being belligerent and sometimes violent. In the five years leading up to the pandemic, there were maybe 10 to 15 cases reported to the Federal Aviation Administration about interference with flight crew, about boisterous, belligerent incidents. In 2020, let alone, by the end of the year, there had been over 5,000 of those cases reported, 5,000 and a higher percentage of those investigated than ever before, and a higher percentage of those investigations leading to punishment and fines than ever before. And then in 2022, the number of incidents reported dropped a little bit. That seemed to be going in a good direction, but there were even more investigations on a percentage level, and even more fines levied against people because the incidences were getting fewer but worse. And all of a sudden, the duct tape wasn't so funny anymore. And the airlines are not isolated in those experiences in the last few years, are they? We see stories like this coming out of grocery stores, people at restaurants just trying to get carry out, people at school board meetings, people in hospitals acting out in belligerent ways. A lot of this was mask related, but not all of it. A lot of this was also just stress related, trauma related. All of that just filling our news feeds, filling our eyeballs, filling our heads, and on top of that, the violence and the villainy of folks who would try to overthrow a government or deny elections or what have you there kind of villainy I would almost call cartoonish if it wasn't so deadly serious. The last three years have had many moments when Jess and I will look at one another and say, good Lord, the people are just being so people today. <laughs> the theme for the month of February is following the path of love. We've talked a lot about it this week, even into the end of January, about love as the doctrine of this church, about how we love one another as we love ourselves and loving in the very veriness of our whole beings and how the practice of charity, of caritas, of the handing back of dignity to others is one of the ways in which we build upon in our own imperfect selves that big, wholehearted, universal love that we are called to practice, and then I read these stories. And I have to question, agape, charity, love all that is, John? This is the message you're giving the people when you're not even sure about it? There is so much that is unlovable. And yet we are called to love everyone. How exactly are we supposed to do that, Mr. Minister? What are you trying to tell us? How do we do it? Number one, let's just let ourselves off the hook a little bit for a moment, okay? Last week I talked about caritas, about the act of charity, about the small gifts of dignity we give to one another in order to increase that boundless love, but I also said that we are an imperfect reflection of a far more perfect thing that is bigger than any of us. We are part of something larger, finite within it. We can't do it. Love everyone, love all that is perfectly within our own selves. We just can't pull it off alone. So let's let ourselves off the hook a little bit. There's a lot that is unlovable in the world, and sometimes we need to just take care of ourselves and not feel like we're stretching so much to try to love what is hard to love. But the love for all that is, that call of a Unitarian Universalist faith, still stands, even if we can't always pull it off. I have a slightly cynical theological statement I make from time to time where I think, thank God God is all loving and forgiving, because I sure can't be right now. At least somebody's there to do it. And it's cynical, but it's true. We're not on the hook to love each person on earth individually. We only need to build within ourselves a willingness to love, a capacity to love all that is. I mentioned last week that the act of charity builds up chemically in our brain the capacity to trust one another, and it's a chain reaction. The more we trust, the more trust we engender, the more dignity we give to others, the more we want to give to others. And that that was the work of just approaching the world with the willingness to have that kind of trust in others. That my interaction with people is going to be okay. All I need is the willingness to approach the world that way. Sometimes that trust will be ill-placed in some people. But it's not a naive trust. It's not a thoughtless trust. It's just the act of trusting before we move into doubting in this order of spiritual operations we are practicing with. That trust can be broken. That trust can be betrayed. The people who are contained within this all that is we are called to love will let us down from time to time, will prove perhaps to be undeserving of our trust, our care. And yet, we are called to love creation anyway. So how do we keep falling in love with all that is, falling in love with the world, when the people are often just too peebly?? John Newton was a merchant trade captain of ships in 18th century England. He was a captain, a crewman first, and then a captain of slave ships. took it on for the easy money and he took it on because at the time people could justify slavery because it was okay in the bible as long as you treated your slaves like human beings and with dignity but as he engaged in the trade more and more he saw that that love and that dignity really wasn't evident anywhere in the process and so doubt was creeping in and a little self-loathing was creeping in In the 1830s, when he was a crewman on a ship, he had a near-death experience. He had been on watch one night when a storm had arose. And just as he had left his post, as the shift had changed, before he left the deck, he watched the person who replaced him swept overboard from the ship, lost at sea. And he had this moment of aha. I am alive right now, I am not so sure I deserve to be alive right now, but somehow by the grace of God I am still standing here, and that notion of the grace of God for him permeated his being, ate into him over time. John Newton's conversion wasn't instantaneous, although he became a more devout Christian after that moment. He kept going back to the slave trade because the money was easy, and now he had a young family to support, and he needed that money, but the loathing, the self-hatred, the despisement of how slaves were treated kept eating and eating away at him. And no matter how much he tried to instill something that was more loving and caring amongst his crew with the slaves, it still didn't quite measure up. It still didn't quite bring him in all the way. What drew him out finally? What was it that finally changed his heart and turned him around? First of all, it was what he acknowledged as that persistent call of God, that hand of grace that was just sitting there for him. Whether or not he was ready to take it He knew it was there and he knew that invitation also came in the form of the hands of friends reaching out to him, trying to call him back into good relationship with his community, with God, with the human race. One of those friends was William Wilberforce, the nephew of one of Newton's closest friends. Wilberforce was a member of Parliament in the late 18th century, a rabid abolitionist, and one who was trying to push the abolishment of the slave trade as a law in England. And he just kept calling to Newton, tell your story. Tell what you felt while you were in the trade. Tell the story of how you have turned around. Tell it from the perspective of someone who was thick in it and lost in it. And so Newton started to write pamphlet after pamphlet on the need for abolition. He moved from being apolog- an apologist for slavery to an abolitionist. All the while, he didn't feel worthy of the love being extended his way, of the forgiveness that was being offered. But it came to him anyway, regardless of whether he felt worthy of it, through his God as he understood it, through the unrelenting invitation of the community back into a relationship that honored the dignity of all people. Reflecting on his experiences, Newton wrote a poem once about the feelings of his sense of conversion back to the right, the call back into the community. You might recognize it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. grace. That is a word that causes struggle for a lot of Unitarian Universalists, in part because it's so intimately tied to the Calvinist theology that our churches grew out of in resistance to that grace that was limited to a thousand people, as Hosea Ballou learned in his youth as his father preached. We would be right to think that a grace, this undeserved gift of returning to God, would be awfully capricious. This God is capricious in giving out this gift, and we'd be right to turn away from that God, to wonder why anyone might worship that God. But here's the thing at the heart of universalism, especially in our early theological perspectives, The universalists did not reject the notion of grace. They rejected the notion of the limitation, of the gift of grace. How could it be limited? How can an infinite, loving God be finite in grace? Eventually, we will all be reunited the early universalists even the bad people now today with so many god concepts in a single unitarian universalist church never mind the entirety of unitarian universalism so many god concepts including prevalently the concept of no god at all how do we talk about grace now with any integrity if we doubt even the source of that grace. And it's simply because of this. If we are trying to reflect or at least create the model of that great heart love that I talk about, of that all-encompassing love for all that is the full-bodied, full-souled love, so too it is with grace which is just one component in a much bigger love, in that all-encompassing love, and because we are, we are its agents. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor and theologian in Germany in the 1940s, was a member and a pastor of the Confessing Church, and his theology worked like this. He said, the gathered community, the congregation that gathers together, the community that gathers together in service of God, however we may understand it, the gathered community is the ultimate expression of that divine presence, of the presence of God, of the presence of the great heart. It is the ultimate expression of what is good and of what we value. And if there is any grace in the world, he says, It comes in the form of the hands of that gathered community working together. Grace arises from the community and its hands. If we are extending grace to one another, we are doing so as a member of a community. We are not on our own. It is coming through all of our hands together. And when we can't do the lifting ourselves, there's someone else there to do it. It is not a solo act. It is a willingness, just like trust, to extend it in spite of all our human foibles. And it's not a naive grace, and it is not a thoughtless grace, because grace is a two-way street. John Newton did not truly feel grace until he responded to the invitation that was extended to him time after time after time, until he felt even just the smallest sliver of being worthy of that love, of that forgiveness, of that welcome back into a community. It wasn't a thoughtless grace offered on the part of the community. It was a hope that someone would come back into the circle when they felt ready and deserving The act of grace depends on two hands, the one extending it and the one accepting it. We love the world in spite of people because we are called to be agents of grace, to reflect the great heart love in that way. And that is a tall order. I know it as I just opened up this sermon talking about how much there is to not love about the world and the way people behave, but here's the thing. Most of the people we are disappointed by, most of the people we feel we need to offer some grace to or might struggle offering that grace to, most of them are not being duct-taped to the proverbial airline seat. Most of the disappointments that we feel with other people, most of the hurt that we feel at the hands of other people, or even at the hands of ourselves, most of that is really small and really personal. It's just the result of all of our own rough-edged, fragile shells rubbing up against each other all the time. It's human nature, and we're going to feel it feels like it hurts on a scale of someone who's acted so horribly they had to be duct taped it's only because of its proximity to us not necessarily the extremity of the act the chance for our hands to act as agents of grace begin in those moments hard as it might seem in the moment We can offer that grace. We can offer that hand to one another because we are gathered in a community together, in a community that shares a goal of reflecting, however imperfectly, the expanse of that great heart love, that love for all that is. Because that great heart exists in our gathering together. And I offer it too because I also know I'm going to need it someday. I'm, I'm rough, fragile-shelled myself. I rub up against other rough, fragile-shelled people all the time. I fail and I disappoint. I know whether I'm aware of it or not. And some days there are moments when, yes, I probably should be duct taped to a chair for my own good before I do any more damage. Those are the moments, and I think those are the moments for any of us, when we need most to feel the depth of that great heart love, of the love of the community, of love that all is, is embodied in my community. I extend my hands in grace so that I might receive that hand in return when the time comes. So here we are, the gathered community, imperfect in our reflections of the big love, of the agape love, of the great heart at the center of all things. Imperfect made of fragile, people-y people. So how do I love the world? How do I love everyone? With a willingness to love. With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with the very veriness of everything that we are. willingness to offer kindness and dignity to one another, because my own is so deeply wrapped up in yours, with a willingness to be agents of grace, because there's so little of it in the world sometimes. Maybe so.